A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. We are celebrating family farmsteads and homesteads statewide that have been in the family for 100 or 150 years. Joining us with another story is Dwayne Steinhauer, a sesquicentennial farm family. The Steinhauer estate is in Mount Horeb in Dane County. Dwayne, you are the fifth generation on the farm. Tell me, when was the farm acquired? Yeah, in uh, 1864, my great-great-grandfather bought it. It was originally bought in, I think, 1856, and there were three or four owners in that eight years, and it looks like it might have been some land speculators, and then they sold it to their son, and then they sold it to another speculator, but in 1864 was when our our family bought the farm the first time. How did they end up in Dane County? They came from Germany, and I've not heard why they picked this area. But about five years ago, my mother took me down the road and showed me a dugout alongside the road where they spent their first winter in Wisconsin next to a stream. They dug, they dug, dug into the side of the bank and put something over it to protect themselves and lived outside for the first winter. And that was not part of, of any farm that my grandparents or that our family ever owned, but it neighbors where my brother lives. And when I was a kid in the 50s, early 50s, my grandparents used to go down to that same spot, and we used to pick blueberries and black raspberries and, you know, all the berries with little seeds in them. And I never could figure out why they knew that place was there, but now it makes sense. So tell me the size of the farm, what the buildings looked like, and what your family farmed. The size of the farm that that I just bought is 113 acres. And that's approximately what it always was. In the 40s, there was a land swap because my grandparents didn't have access to the road. They had to use an easement to get from the highway down to the farm. And my grandfather did a swap with the neighbor, gave the neighbor some of his farm to get um, a 20-acre piece to have have his own road. You know, they had cars and stuff and, and had to drive up and down through there. So I don't know how, how much improved it was, but it had to be drivable in all kinds of weather. So, What are some other changes that happened to the land or on the farm over time? My grandfather took over the farm when his father died in the 20s. He was born in 96. Oh, no, it was in the teens that his father died. So he, was, he, was, he wasn't 20 years old when he had to take over the farm. And... According to the abstract, the estate didn't get settled till 1935, and he had to pay off his brother, his sisters, and, and then my grandfather farmed it. But he was farming it as a, as a renter from the estate for about 18 or 20 years. But in 1930, he had saved enough money, obviously right before the Depression or during the Depression, that he built the house that's currently there, a four-square house, and he built a new barn. And those, that's still there also. When they built the new house, they took the old house and moved it about 100 feet. And when I was growing up, that house was still there. When I was real young, my aunt, my grandfather's sister, who was mentally challenged because when she was four, three or four years old, she fell into a cow tank and almost drowned. 
And so my grandfather took care of her till she died as part of his job for the estate. But she lived in that house, you know, that no plumbing or anything like that. And then uh, I think in the early 70s, it finally got torn down. What was the depression like for your family? Well, they were very self-sufficient, but I heard some fleeting stories um, from my grandparents about how that during the Depression they had to dump their milk away because no, nobody would take it. When I was growing up, we always had purebred Holstein cattle, and it turns out that my grandfather had started that in the early 30s, and so every heifer calf that was born got registered, and the name of the farm was Deephaven Farms. Every summer, buyers from South America and Asia would come, and there was a cattle salesman named Merlin Voss. There was another guy before him that I didn't know would bring these buyers around, and we'd sell anywhere from six to ten two-year-old heifers, and they'd go worldwide because they were registered cattle. That's a pretty cool story. As At that time, especially, right? It reminds me of a World Dairy Expo or something. Yeah. A few years ago, we had a class reunion, and my BOAG teacher came came to it. He's still living in Mount Horbin. He took me aside, and he said, you know, your grandfather was amazing. He said, I never saw a better cattle judge than him. And so he could pick, he could look at the cow that he was going to have bred, and it was all done with artificial insemination from southern Wisconsin breeders. And he would pick the bull that he wanted it mated with so that he would get the best confirmation out of the calves. That's that's not some that's not a trait that any of us inherited. <laughs> I was never any good at judging cattle. I and I don't believe my brothers or my dad had that talent either. So <laughs> I was gonna ask you if dairy husbandry has been passed on. I mean are you what's your connection to the farm? Do you farm it? Are you dairying or cash cropping? Since my dad uh, couldn't do any more work about 20 or 25 years ago, the farmland has been rented out to a, to a neighbor. He has a large dairy, and he grows his forage on our land, and uh, we, can, we expect to let him continue. We're hoping that someday in the next four or five years that some of the family will move back there and, as my daughter says, have tasty pets like pigs and sheep, <laughs> cows and, and chickens, something that she kids can have for pets, then they become tasty. Maybe a little hobby farming in the future, at least. Oh, yeah, at least that. Are the buildings in use? The folks that rent out the farm, are they using the buildings? No, we're using the sheds for for family things. In 1950, my grandfather bought a brand new Farmall M tractor. I bought that from my mom here about 10 years ago. So we still have that tractor on the farm. So we'll be able to do some things, but, you know, in this day and age, why a farm all M is not big enough to get much work done. In another two weeks, it'll, it'll look like it just came out of the showroom because we're, we're getting it re- reconditioned. Oh, wow. Yeah, when, with, between that and your tasty pets, it'll be like stepping back in time when, when you visit the farm. Yeah, when we were little, uh, there were six, six of us kids in our family, and uh, my dad's only brother that lived through infancy got killed in a car accident in 1953, so we were the only only family, and we always farmed together, and since it was so close, for some of the years when I was 
two till six years old, why I spent a lot of time living with grandpa and grandma. So my mom would have one less kid to watch. I really kind of grew up on this farm. So it's got a lot of a lot of those memories for us. Dwayne, you've expressed that the sixth and seventh generations may be interested in farming, but what is your hope for the future of the estate? So I've told my kids that when they inherit the farm, I expect them to keep it in the family for 50 more years. I don't know that they will honor that because kids don't always do what you want, but I'm hoping at least one of them will see fit to do it. Why is that something that's important to you and maybe it's also important to your siblings? I I just think it's something unique that uh, the family will have that not many other families have. And once it's gone, you can't replace it. Dwayne, do you have any special memories tied to the farm that you wanted to share? Mom died last year at 90 and Dad died nine years before that. You know, when they first got married, they had to live on this farm with my grandparents And the story was that I was such a terrible baby, I cried all night, and the four of them had to take turns walking around with me. It takes a village, huh? (laughs) I guess. Grandpa and Grandma came in handy, I guess. But uh, when I was growing up, we had uh, a fence right next to the house that had hops growing on it. And it turns out that my grandmother brewed her own beer because she had... uh, she was not a real healthy lady. The doctor told her she had to have she should needed to drink beer to to help her her malady, whatever it was, and I don't remember. So she grew the hops and, and brewed her own beer. In later years, after she was no longer brewing her own beer, why there was always a case of beer. Local beer was C B, it came out of Madison. She'd open a bottle of beer and drink half of the bottle one night and then put a and recork it. She had a cork thing that she could put back on it and um, drink the other half the next night. Never drank a full beer. It's only a half one. Are hops still a part of the farm? Are you growing hops? Are you going to carry on the beer brewing tradition? No, they've been gone for 60 years. But when I was little, the fence was still there and they were growing wild, but nobody was using it. My grandfather, you know, grew up there, but my grandmother grew up in Dawson, Minnesota. And I don't know how my grandfather found out about Dawson, Minnesota, but he went there one summer and brought her back. She was like 14 years old, and she came back to Wisconsin and lived in Wisconsin for the rest of her life. And one summer, I was about 12 or 13, why they went back to visit her family in in Dawson, Minnesota, and I got to go along. And when we got there, I was talking to some of the people And the story they told us was that all the guys in Dawson, Minnesota, were really ticked at my grandfather for coming, taking the prettiest girl away. That's cool. Yeah. And who knows? It it might be true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the farm, when when I was growing up, it was pigs and chickens and dairy. And Grandma had a garden that was about a third of an acre. It was about one third of that was strawberry plants. And my wife asked me why she had so many strawberry plants. And I had to point out that she had six grandkids that needed jelly. <laughs> yeah, we all had to get, got to help with the garden. And from the time I was about seven years old, why it was my job to cut the grass at Grandma's house. And you will continue doing that for the foreseeable future, huh? Yeah, well, I've got, I've got some help now, so I don't have to do it all myself. But 
yeah. Right. You've got your own grandkids to enlist. <laughs> yep. And uh, brothers and sisters, that it'll help some too. So we hope to make the stay family farm, even though only one of us owns it, but we'd like to make it a gathering spot for, for all the cousins and nieces and nephews and stuff to come and be able, because they have a lot of memories. When our my kids were little, um, in the springtime, we always have to pick rock, and my dad was not able to do very much of it, so about three or four times in the spring, why I'd load my kids in the car and we'd go out in the afternoon after school and pick rock with grandpa and grandpa called it the rock festival because after everybody got done working then we went to the in the house and grandma had hamburgers and malted milks for everybody so they got to work with grandpa and grandma too these are those special memories that we like to catch on tape my grandfather in uh in his younger years and his teenage years until he was about 23 was a baseball pitcher for the local teams until he ruined his shoulder. And one time when we were fixing fence, we had to pound the post, and my grandfather lifted the mall straight up in the air and dropped it down. Well, when my dad pounded posts, he could swing the mall. So my dad always swung the mall when he was pounding posts. And when we were fencing the three of us, why dad pounded the posts, but grandpa dug the holes and, and uh, so we had to put in a replacement post, and Grandpa was la- raising them all straight up and dropping it straight down. Obviously, it didn't go as fast as if he could swing them all. And I asked him, you know, why he didn't pound the post like my dad did. And uh, he said that's when he told me that he had ruined his shoulder pitching baseball. And, you know, that's the only time it was ever obvious that he couldn't raise his arm over his over his uh, head. He lived uh, that way and survived that way and and never complained, you know. So I could tell you one more story. We were throwing manure out of a calf pen one day, Grandpa and Dad and I, um, into a horse-drawn manure spreader. My grandfather had horses until the mid-'50s that he only used them for hauling manure in the wintertime. But um, there were three of us were there, and, and I'm sure I was slowing them down. You know, when you're, when you're seven or eight years old, why not, you can't do as much as a, a bigger person. And I'm not very, I'm only 5'5 five five now, so I was a lot smaller then. But uh, Dad said something to Grandpa about he had just paid uh, the insurance was always with a town mutual insurance company. All the farmers, you know, paid in, and something happened why everybody paid to take care of it. And Dad had just paid his three-year premium. They only collected the premium once every three years because it was all done locally, and why do paperwork every year if you can get by with doing it once every three years? So. And then they got an assessment that was for more than his three-year premium had been because there had been a bad barn fire. One of the neighbors had lost his barn. And Dad was kind of grousing about that. And my grandpa said to him, uh, you know, you really shouldn't be unhappy about that. And I was kind of taken aback. I, you know, I 
seemed make, it made sense to me what Dad was saying. And Grandpa said, you should just be happy it's not your barn. It's nice to be able to help your neighbor and not have all the inconvenience of having had the fire. So eventually my dad got to be the secretary of the and treasurer of the town mutual company, and then, then the guy that was the president of it died, and then they merged with another one, and then they merged with another one, and Dad was on the board of those companies. And then when he retired, why, I did that for a few years also. So you get to find out how your neighbors are, are being taken care of that way. That's Dwayne Steinhauer sharing some of those memories from the farm that have stuck with him all these years that he shares with his family, and he looks forward to making more memories moving forward. The Steinhauer estate is celebrating its sesquicentennial status. These stories are brought to you courtesy of Compere Financial. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.